Hello and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. My name is Nick Sararis and beautifully hockey is back. Just finished watching the Flyers take care of business against the Penguins. The Penguins did not look particularly great. They had a nice first period, but after that they had a really hard time moving the puck, getting the puck out of their own zone. Tristan Yari and Nett replacing Matt Murray had a pretty rough go of it. Yes, the Flyers are a talented team. Yes, it's the first game of the season, and most of us assume that defense, offense would be ha- having a thorough advantage, being that there was no preseason, no real, not a significant amount of practice time for teams to ramp up into game shape, that it would lead to a lot of goalies looking silly. Right now, as I'm recording, I'm looking over at my one TV, and the Leafs are losing 3-1 to one to the Canadians in the second period, and the puck is about to drop in the Blackhawks-Lightning game. It's beautiful that hockey's back, and my, oh, Wayne Simmons is fighting someone. He's fighting Ben Chirot for some reason. Okay, I, Simmons won the fight. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry, back to the moment at hand. This episode, very simple. The first episode of this podcast, I dropped the day after the NHL draft when the Rangers took Alexi Lafreniere first overall. Hey, weirder things have happened. I'm going into the season without expectations for the Rangers. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop. I'm riding solo. And I'm going to do my best to give you everything you need to know about the Rangers for this upcoming season. So you can sound like a hockey guy like me. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop. Taken away by Panarin. Panarin breaks toward the net. He's double teams. And it's knocked away. With that, I jump into an interesting moment in time for the Rangers as an organization. They are four years now removed from the letter to the fan base saying that they were going to be trading familiar faces in hopes of pursuing a rebuild, a, a true rebuild, tearing down, trying to start over, and accumulating young draft picks. Well, John Davidson and Jeff Gordon, through not a lot of their own, like, direction i mean they got lucky with ping pong balls they haven't done a particularly great job of roster management they overpaid for some assets and a lot of the guys they ended up getting wanted to be here i've said this for a while now that the rangers front office is more lucky than good i mean defenseman jacob truba forced his way to new york he didn't want to resign in winnipeg got the came to new york signed an extension defenseman adam fox Same thing. Originally drafted by another organization, but he wanted to play for the Rangers and kind of forced his way to New York. There's Artemi Panarin, who came as a free agent the first day of free agency, summer 2019. Same deal. He wanted to be a Ranger. Not because that the Rangers were doing a particularly great job of doing anything. Because, let's be frank, the last two seasons... Aside from a 20-game stretch, about a 15-20-game stretch during the 2019-2020 season from mid, I'll say mid-January through like the first week of March, the rate, that's the only good stretch of hockey the Rangers have played in two years. I am highly skeptical of David Quinn as a head coach at this point. I gave him that first year as a, okay, this team isn't very talented, he's going to have to figure something out. But after what I saw last season where there was no dramatic improvement in quality of play, 
even though they gave him a significantly better team than the year prior. I'm pretty skeptical of him in, ter- in game management, improving the guys on the team, that kind of thing. The way I think about it is this. In the two years David Quinn has been head coach of the Rangers, he's had two full seasons now. He got the play he got to the playing round in one of the one of the seasons. Not particularly impressed. The way the Rangers have played, especially defensively, is concerning. The team does a very poor job in transition. They do not play aggressively enough in the neutral zone. They are far too passive. They give the other team the offensive zone too easily, and it lets the other team maintain possession. The key in today's NHL is maintaining control of the puck. Dumping and chasing the puck is not efficient. Forcing the other team to dump the puck in around you and go and chase it is how you want to play defense in today's league. And now that the Rangers are going to start incorporating some of their younger defensemen, they need to be more aggressive, and they need to use their speed to try and force the other team to lose the puck. You want to have the puck as much as possible. It's in, def- in hockey, the best defense is to not have to play defense at all. If you are in the other team's zone, you can cycle the puck to your heart's content until someone gets open, or you can do one of those magic cross-ice passes, which are higher percentage shots. They're more likely to result in a goal. That's what you want. You don't want what the Rangers have done for the last two years where they have very mediocre to slow defensemen who bank the puck off the glass in their own end hopefully, and hope it hits someone's body in the neutral zone so it can be redirected into the offensive zone. The problem the Rangers have had for two years now, in the two years David Quinn has been head coach, no team has given, has scored, a, had a lower percentage of Corsi. Okay, I'm going to explain Corsi as simple as possible because... Arbitrarily, I understand that not a lot of people bother to learn the advanced stats because they don't need to. Corsi is just a measure of scoring chances in a game. That's all you have to think about it. Percentage of scoring chances, the percent of scoring chances in a game. So the Rangers' Corsi percentage in Quinn's time as head coach is 46.38. Now, that sounds kind of alien. I understand. That means in two years, the Rangers have averaged 46.38. 3.8% of scoring chances in games. It means they're averaging less than half of the scoring chances in a game. A co- an average team is hovering around 50. A good team is over 50%. They're having a majority of the scoring chances. Now, Quinn, more than once, has defended this by saying that, well, we don't generate as many scoring chances because we settle. we want to create more dangerous chances. So, Because we're trying to create more dangerous scoring chances, we're taking fewer shots because we're working passes out to try and get to a better spot on the ice. This is also bullshit. In the two years he's been head coach of the Rangers, they are the eighth worst team, 23rd overall, in high danger scoring chances. He's full of it. He has been for a lot of his time. I'm not a believer in the hardo, aggressive stepfather style of coaching that, that... For some reason, people really like that they think the authoritarian thing is going to work. You see the successful teams in every league. It's the coach who does the best job of understanding their players and getting that gets the most out of them because they there's a positive reinforcement that we do things well, we're going to do it his way, it's going to go better for us. Quinn has been doing the My Way or the Highway Act for two years. 
And no one's really getting better. If you want to say Tony D'Angelo, I'll give you that one, but no one's really gotten markedly better under Quinn, which is kind of the whole reason he was supposed to be the head coach of this team. He's coming from the college ranks. He was at BU. He didn't win a national title at BU as head coach, even though, you know, he recruited some of the best players in the world. They didn't win anything at BU. And it's frustrating because we were sold a false bill of goods. I understand the team was not talented his first year. That's fine. The following year, they gave him Panarin, they gave him Truba, they gave him Fox, they got another year as a Binijad, they gave him the second overall pick, Capo Caco. They gave him a lot of stuff to get better results out of the team. And he got 15 really good games in terms of quality of play. That's it. In two years, David Quinn has a 15-game window to point to as... I can get good results if everything goes exactly right. And when I say quality of play, I mean sustainable. Just because a team is outscoring chance on a given night doesn't mean they can't win. A lot of the Rangers' wins over the last two years with Quinn as the coach have been games where they've been dramatically outscoring chance, but they were able to smoke and mirrors their way to wins with goaltending and goals. Goals can score a lot of problems. Last year's Ranger team scored a lot of goals considering they did not drive play. And when I say drive play, I mean create scoring chances. In today's NHL, that is the key. You want to generate as many scoring chances as possible and keep the puck in your possession as much as you can. The Rangers have not done a particularly good job of that over the last two years. The roster as it currently sits is still... It's still developing, unfortunately, and it's why there is going to be such a wide variance in terms of the predictions you're going to see for the Rangers this year. A lot of the model makers, whether you look at the athletics, whether you look at Money Puck, whether you look at Sean Tierney's, whoever's model, Evolving Wilds, I'm, I use their website a lot, so I'll give them a shout here. A lot of the models have a pretty wide-ranging variance of potential outcomes for the Rangers this season because there are so many unknowns, and I kind of broke them down into a couple of things. So storyline number one to follow is the Quinn thing. Now that they've given him a clearly better team in year three, he's got another year of Kako, he's got Ke'Andre Miller, he's got Lafreniere, they've got all of these young guys now. Can he get good results out of them and make them comfortable at the NHL level and produce? At some point, he cannot continue to get by with saying, well, we're playing hard, eventually the results have to come. This is professional hockey, David Quinn. Everybody is playing hard. I don't care about effort. I've heard enough about effort and intention. I want pucks in nets and saves. I don't care how hard Brendan Lemieux skates. I don't care the number of hits Brett Howden throws. I want W's. Enough. That's point one. Number two. We want to see consistent play from the team. There are easy solutions to the problems the team has had the last few years. If you are giving up too many scoring chances, you need to clog the neutral zone and slow down the pace of the game. Now the Rangers... They subtracted Mark Stahl. It looks like Brendan Smith is going to float back and forth between the 6th and 7th defensemen. 
they still have Jack Johnson for some god uh, for some some reason, unfortunately, and we're at a point now where they should have two legitimate pairs: Truba and Keandre Miller, Fox and Lindgren. Those should both be neutral to positive players in terms of possession, and I'll say I'll use the game game the word game score. I understand that's kind of complicated. Uh, it's just the way the athletic comps grades their scores, how it evaluates play driving, expected goals, things like that. I That's all dem- dense, but I'll just say for the purposes of this, they have two pairs that should be either a neutral or an outright positive. Tony D'Angelo and Jack Johnson will be a defensive disaster because neither of them are particularly good in their own zone. D'Angelo is an elite transition player. He grades out in the high 90s in terms of transition, whether it's when it's uh, zone exits or zone entries. He's in the top 10 tens of percentiles in both. He's not good in his own end. He's still not very good at spacing and actually playing defense. He's fine as a playmaker. He creates a ton of offensive scoring chances. He's very good as the quarterback of the power play. You'll take that because... You'll take his bad defense because he gives you that offense. I don't know what they're going to do with Johnson or Smith. Neither is particularly good. I'd rather Smith play than Jack Johnson because Jack Johnson's one of the five worst players in hockey. Smith isn't good, but he's not that bad. You get those three pairs together. We'll see. Now, speaking to the wide range and variance in potential outcomes this year, we have to talk about the goaltending situation. Obviously, the dearly... Dearly missed Henrik Lundqvist is no longer the goaltender for our Rangers. They're going in with Igor Shosturkin as the presumptive number one. He has 12 career games of NHL experience. Granted, in those 12 games of NHL experience, he's awesome. You see why the Rangers were patient with him. They let him sit in Russia for the five years after he was drafted. When he finally came over, he was good. I saw him play in person three separate times. He's very sharp mentally. He's pretty good on playing angles. His rebound play is solid. He's very, very aggressive playing the puck, though. It's the only drawback to his style is that if you can cross-crease the puck or rebound-wise, you run into issues with him. And again, 12 games is not a tremendously large sample size to draw from, but the Rangers played their best hockey the season last year with Shesterkin in that. There's no disputing that. And they have Georgiev as their two. Pretty strong 1-2 tandem. Georgiev is solid. I don't know if he can ever be a starter, but as your two, your 1B, he's fine. They'll be fine. They should be fine in net. And that's one of the keys for the Rangers. Because last year, they got a lot of results from goaltending playing above their means. And when I say playing above their means, I mean that the Rangers were only creating about 44-45% of the scoring chances in the game, but the goaltender was good enough to steal goals from the other team. There's a stat there's a stat called expected goals against and a goal saved above average. Those are stats based on where the shot comes from. The closer and more dangerous a shot is, the more valuable a goal a shot it is. Because it's more likely to result in a goal. The Rangers, Shesterkin, I believe, 
in his 12-game sample had a three-and-a-half-ish goal saved above expectation, meaning he stole three-and-a-half goals based on where they were coming from on the ice that they should have resulted in goals. That's pretty good. Now, we come to a team that's going to probably struggle defensively, so they're going to be asking a lot from both goaltenders. There, There's no confusing about that. These goalies are going to have to play well because the defense does not play well structurally in terms of where they are on the ice, the spacing, that kind of thing. And they just, they've never really, they've never clicked. They don't play good transition hockey, which has driven me up the wall for a while. It's a lot of speed, soccer-style counterattacks is how I'll describe the Rangers' play style over the last few years. Because they've been forced to absorb so much pressure in their own defensive zone, a lot of the time their scoring chances come off of the rush, where it's a defenseman firing a stretch pass out to someone in the neutral zone and trying to create a scoring chance off of an odd man rush. It's hard to consistently create offense like that because typically those odd man rushes are a one and done. And when I say one and done, I mean it only results in one scoring chance before the other team gets the puck back and brings it back out of the zone. In hockey, you want to maintain sustained pressure. You want to create multiple scoring chances when you have the puck, tire out the defense, and it'll lead to better scoring chances. I don't know how good the Rangers are going to be this year, simply because there is such a unknown factor to this team. How good is Lafreniere going to be right off of the bat? He's had no preseason games, he's had two weeks of training camp, and he's going to be playing third-line minutes. If everything goes right, he's going to force his way into the top six within a month, because I understand they have a logjam at left wing where they have Panarin and Kreider in front of him, and they don't want to move Lafreniere to the right, if they did, he'd probably be starting on the second line where they have Kako currently slated. I don't know if Kako is that type of player where he's going to fit with what Strom and Kako, uh, Strom and Panarin need, rather. A couple weeks ago when I had Jay Fresh Hockey on, we had talked about it, and he mentioned that what made Faust so good in that spot on that line was He's really good at puck retrieval. He's really good at going into the corners and winning possession and playing with his body to get loose pucks. And that Kako is not a particularly fast skater, and he did not play the handle the puck particularly well. Kako's main move as a puck handler is to try and shield the puck with his body to create space. And that worked in the Finnish league. But in North America, the defensemen are just too good for him to just try and out-physical everyone, especially considering how small he was last year. He's obviously put on a bit of weight since then, and we're going to assume that he cannot possibly get worse. Because I'll quote what Jack said when he was on, Jay Fresh Hockey. He cannot possibly get worse because he put up one of, he put up the single worst statistical, analytical season of the stat tracking era. It, it could not possibly get any worse than it did last year. He had a painfully difficult time. He was consistently bounced up and down the lineup. Where he's either playing third or fourth line minutes. He wasn't playing with anyone who could create possession. And the best case for what Kako is going to be is a finisher. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the most physical guy. If he can consistently score 25 tucks a year. 
That's all I can ask for. If he can give you 25 goals, he can play as a bumper on the power play. That's fine. That's all we really need him to be now that they do have Lafreniere. They still have Panarin. They still have Kreider. There's pieces of a championship team. How they all fit together, that is another story that I'm going to get to in a second. But wrapping up this point about the unknown and the wide-ranging outcomes, we're going to see. I think it's more likely that the Rangers are bad than good just because of the defensive issues the team has had and that the this at least first month of the season is probably going to favor offense. If if every game goes like the games we've seen so far on opening night where the Flyers and Penguins combine for nine goals, the Leafs and Habs have six goals and they're only in the second period, Still 0-0 in Tampa Bay, Chicago, but it's very early in that game. It's possible that the Rangers can just outscore and win every game 5-4, to 4-3, four, four to three, that kind of thing. And Shesterkin stands on his head even though the Rangers are giving up 40 shots a night. It's perfectly possible. I would just expect them to be bad, though. I'm <laughs> just being frank if that's what happens. The next thing that's important to keep in your minds when you're thinking about the Rangers this year is they got career years out of Zabinijad and Panarin last year. I'll start with Panarin because he was in the MVP discussion how good his season was last year. He had one of the best even strength seasons ever like in the in the stat tracking era we'll, we'll go with since 2009 that is. One of the best statistical seasons at even strength. So his goal differential at even strength was plus 30. The Rangers without him on the ice was like negative, around negative 30. So Panarin was so good at even strength last year that he kept the Rangers around zero, a net zero goal differential at even strength. And then the Rangers were particularly good on the power play last year, which is how they won a lot of games. The difference between the absolute abyss seller and... What they were last year was Panarin at even strength. Do not expect Panarin to have another career season for a second consecutive year in a row. It's not statistically likely that he can do that. He's still probably going to be particularly good. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be bad. But if the Rangers are going to be even decent this year... They're going to need Panarin to do a lot of heavy lifting. In a 56-game season, they're going to need him to touch 60, 65 points if the Rangers are going to be good, just because there are so many question marks in the other parts of the lineup. Now, getting to Zabinijad. He's gotten a little bit better every single year he's been with the Rangers. He's really got a nice fit with Kreider and Buchnevich, where... Kreider is really good at puck retrieval, going into the corners, winning foot races, playing the body, getting the puck. Buchnevich is really good in the cycle. He's really good at finding the open person where the puck needs to go, weaving the cross-ice pass across. Zbigniewicz as the trigger man on the power play is fine. You're not going to hear complaints from me on that, where he's sitting on the left circle to rip shots on the one-timer. That's fine. His defense is a little bit overrated. They that first line, for as good as it is, it it's not dominant. It's only slightly positive in terms of possession. It's like 50.5, 51-ish percent in Corsi. So 50 to 51% of the scoring chances at even strength. That's 
that's good. Don't get me wrong. That's good, but not as dominant as Zabinijet's stats would have you believe. I know he was on pace for a 57-goal season last year before the pause in mid-March, but I don't think you can expect that good of production again, just because I don't think the power play can be that good again. They have all the same pieces. They'll have Kreider in front of the net. They'll have Booch and Panarin as the bumpers. For the first few games, at least, it looks like Strom is going into one spot, and then D'Angelo is still going to be the point man running the power play. The Rangers will do the four forwards and one defenseman again on the man advantage, which is fine. I'm personally a proponent of that, unless you've got the second two offensively inclined defensemen. Like, if the Rangers had... And Yossi and D'Angelo running the points, that would be fine. I'd be fine with that. But for what they have, D'Angelo's the point man is fine. I like what Zabinijad does. He's a good trigger man. He really seems to get it, the kind of leader he is, the kind of character he has. He's a good dude. He does a lot of good stuff. I know he does a lot of involvement with uh, women's hockey, where he sponsors a team, I want to say. I think in Sweden, he pays for a team stuff. He's, he's a good dude. He does his music, his DJ stuff. Uh, work on your sick beats, kid. You just got to bear us by Ottawa. Got to get that in there. If you're on Rangers Twitter, you know what I'm talking about. So taper your expectations for Zabinijad, for Panarin. They're both still going to be good hockey players, but don't expect what you got from them last year. Which leads me to my next point about incorporating the younger players and getting production out of them. If they are going to have any modicum of a success this year, they're going to need Adam Fox to be as awesome as he was last year. They're going to need Kako to look like an NHL-caliber hockey player. They're going to need Keandre Miller to step right in and be an NHL defenseman right away, which is a tall order for a 20-year-old. Conventionally speaking, defensemen take longer to develop than forwards. For whatever reason, that's what it always has been in the NHL. Typically, guys have to do a year or two in the AHL before they break in the, into the league. It's possible Miller's the exception. He's just that good right away. He's got the physical tools. He's big. He's fast. He's got a long reach. Physically, he should be fine at the NHL level. It's a matter of where he, what he does with his body, his positioning, that kind of thing. If he can get that, if he has the positioning stuff down, he could be fine right away, and him and Truba can click. I, I think Truba's overrated. I always have thought Truba was pretty overrated, but. Him and Miller have potential to be a net positive pair. The main sticking point for the young guys is going to be how Quinn decides to use them. We've seen in the past that he will just healthy scratch them, demote them, bench them from pretty minor infractions. And then he's inclined to give guys, other guys, as much run as they want. Brett Howden... As god-awful as he's been the last two years, he's never been stapled to the bench or healthy scratch for a prolonged period of time. Because Quinn just likes that he's skating into bodies and trying to do things. For some reason, the prospect community, uh, specifically um, Burnside at The Athletic, thinks he's going to eventually be good. Um, I've seen two years of Brett Hound at the NHL level. I've seen enough. He hasn't gotten better. In fact, he's gotten worse in the two years he's been in the league. I just don't see it from him at this point. And then we get to Lafreniere, who has all the potential in the world. We're talking about someone who put together the best OHL, uh, excuse me, QMJHL season 
in a decade since Nathan McKinnon. He had one of the best amateur seasons. We'll say junior, because junior hockey is... It's amateur hockey, but not, it's, it's technical. We'll say junior hockey. He had one of the best junior hockey seasons of all time, arguably. I want to say it was Craig Custins of The Athletic who said it was the second best junior hockey season of all time behind McDavid's one series in Erie. Excuse me, one season in Erie. That's good company to keep. In the Athletics preview for the Rangers, they wrote that if you projected Lafreniere's 112 QMJHL points into the NHL, it would equal about 57 points, and that's in an 82-game season. So you would expect that to be a little bit less, that in a a 56-game season, it would be closer to... 30-something, if Lafreniere gives you 35-ish points, he's competent at even strength, and he gives you a plus on the power play. Good rookie season. That's really all the... The Rangers are going to need a lot from him going forward, because from a roster construction standpoint, they are going to start having budget issues next year. The fulcrum point for those budget issues is going to be his Zabinijad extension, because he's eligible for one in two seasons, and he's going to want north of $10 million a season, and he has every right to. He's produced like an elite center, and I don't know if the Rangers can afford that because of the pieces they already have, who are going to subsequently need extensions. I mean, you have to figure Adam Fox going to be in a major part of the franchise's plans going forward. He's going to be looking for a Quinn Hughes-esque extension where he's looking at north of not 8 to $10 million a year on a long-term extension because if the Rangers try and play it out and do the bridge game where they do the two-year deal, it'll be like $5 million or $6 million, and then by the time he's 24, 25, it'll be $7 million, $8 million, and then by the time he's a UFA at 27 years old, you're looking at north of $10 million. You're looking at like $12 million a season if Fox keeps on the trajectory he's on, where he was the Rangers' best defenseman by a mile last season as a rookie in his first NHL season. Then you have the contracts for Truba and Kreider, which already I know are going to be bad. Truba at $8 million was an overpay. Kreider at six and three quarters million, I think, six seven five is an overpay for both of them. Uh, I don't think either is going to age particularly well either. Once Kreider loses his speed, he's going to stink because he's never had good hands. And once his speed goes, his main value is going to be to park himself in front of the net and redirect the puck, which he is still good at, by the way. Kreider is, I think, the second best player in the league at redirections for, to create scoring chances behind Crosby, who's the master at it. So I get why they gave Kreider the extension they did. I get why they traded for Truba and gave him the extension they did. I don't know, again, if these pieces fit together the way they are. They still need another center, obviously, Ryan Strom. Never been a big believer in him. His stats are a lot of smoke and mirrors and dependent on Panarin, especially last year. His shooting percentage as a Ranger is almost double his shooting percentage in every other season of his career, especially when you look at his Edmonton numbers and the um, Everly tra- before they traded uh, Everly to the Islanders. Not not great from Strom. And the other thing I wanted to touch on in this, I'm not going to go particularly long. This episode probably end up being around 40 minutes, to, a little shorter than typical, but that's because this is just me from the hip. I only have a handful of notes to write here. It, 
the division is going to be tough. The opponents in this division are playoff teams. You got to remember, the Flyers made the playoffs last year. The Bruins did. The Capitals did. The Penguins did. The Islanders did. Pretty everyone in the division made the playoffs last year, aside from the Sabers and Devils. In the at least including the um, play-in round where the Rangers and um, Penguins both lost, but. There is quality up and down this division. Even the bad teams, like the Devils and the Sabres, aren't like egregiously bad. Buffalo should be decent this year if they can get some okay goaltending and the top six plays like its talent level indicates it should. And I've always been a little higher than everyone else on the Devils. I think Blackwood, Mackenzie Blackwood, their goaltender who was a rookie last year, is pretty damn good. Nico Heischer is going to miss the start of the season, but Heischer is a legitimate number one center play driver. Jack Hughes will be better. I like some of the pieces they have, whether you're talking Brat, Foot. I like a lot of what the Devils have. They're obviously not ready to win yet, but they're heading in that direction. And then you start talking about the teams. I mean, the Flyers think they can win a Stanley Cup. The Penguins still do. The Capitals still do. The Bruins still do. Pretty much every team, aside from the Rangers that made the playoffs last year, feels like they can win a Stanley Cup. I don't think Washington can. I don't think Pittsburgh can anymore. I don't think the Islanders can unless they get hot at the right time like they did last year where they were able to get to a co- the, seven, the conference finals and were a Brock Nelson goal away from getting to a Game 7 inside conference finals against a significantly better team, might I add you. The Islanders always play above their weight because of the style of play they have, where they're able to grind a game to a halt and play that soccer-style counterattack. It's not pretty, but it's effective. And yes, to the Islander fans who are listening, it was boring to watch. I appreciate the style of hockey they play because it helps compensate for being less talented. It's fine. It's good coaching. It's why Trotz is the best coach in the league. I really do worry about how a young team like the Rangers is going to respond to the ebbs and flows of a season. Because we have seen under Quinn that if things go bad, they go extremely bad. Where you kind of, by the time the first period's over, it's already 3 nothing and the game's over. The Rangers aren't climbing out of that hole. Yeah, they've had a few dramatic comebacks. The one against Montreal last year comes to mind where they were down like 5-1 to one going into the second period, and they did end up coming back to win that game. It's possible, but you don't want to be playing from a 3-0 hole. They need to work on playing better, sustainable hockey. They can't be relying on the counterattack and one-and-done scoring chances to create sustainable offense. The Bruins are not as good as last year. Like I talked about with Sarah, when who was on on Tuesday, they lost Tori Krug, who's a pretty underrated defenseman. It does give Charlie McAvoy a chance to play away from Chara, maybe play in more of a play-driving role. I like the core of the Bruins. you got to see when Pasternak comes back. His hip injury is a significant issue. He is their best goal scorer. David Posternock, he's a legitimate threat for a 50-goal season in a full 82-game year. He's that good, especially playing with Bergeron and Marchand, who are awesome play drivers who can create scoring chances. Tuka Rask is is probably the most proven goaltender in this division. Carter Hart of the Flyers might be the best talent-wise, but Rask has the track record. 
I assume Carter Hart very well could take that standing by the end of this season. He'll play his way into being the best goalie in the division, but he's got to do it first. Washington, Pittsburgh, both in kind of the same tier where they've both won their cups and they both have older groups that are still pretty good, but I don't know if they can reach the peaks of the teams that won their respective cups. I mean, I I really don't want to judge Tristan Yari's season for this year based on the game he had against Philly tonight, but if he plays like that, the Penguins could finish in the cellar. I mean, they did not do a good job of playing from their back forward, getting the puck out of their own zone and creating offense from the back end. I assume it'll get better. They they have a new defensive coach because they let go of Jacques Martin, who's the new defensive, whatever you want to call him, defensive coach, assist. He's the defensive. His emphasis is on defense and the penalty kill, and I believe his title is like associate head coach or something along those lines. I think Pittsburgh will be a little bit better. They're going into a season with with one goal with one goalie with significant NHL experience isn't great. Washington, same boat. They're going in with Samsonov as their number one goalie because Henrik Lundqvist had the heart condition that was caught during pre-screening for this season. We'll see. I'm not that high on Washington. They gave a lot of money to a lot of depth guys. It's not a particularly deep team. Of course, Backstrom, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, all really good players. Verona is very good. John Carlson's a great offensive defenseman. Solid core. I don't know if the tertiary pieces are good enough anymore to do anything with that. If I had to pick the finishing order for the division, I'd probably go Boston, Philly, Washington. No, I Boston, Philly, Pittsburgh. The Islanders, Washington, the Rangers, Buffalo, and then the Devils. If I had to guess, that would be the finishing order I'd go with. I think Boston just has a, has the depth. Granted, it really does depend when Pasternak comes back because if they kind of if they're not getting as many much offense, their defense has question marks. Again, this is all speculation. This is all me doing the best I can with the information I have based on previous sample sizes. If the Rangers made the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it would mean that the young guys popped off. And if the young guys pop off, they're perfectly capable of making the playoffs, which would be fine. It would save David Quinn's job for another season. I don't necessarily agree that's the best thing for the direction of the team and helping these guys get closer to winning a Stanley Cup, but if he makes the playoffs again, he's got they got no reason to fire him. Personally, you're asking me, I would have fired him after that shit show in Toronto in the bubble last year where the Rangers didn't look like an NHL hockey team for... doing the math in my head, seven of the nine periods they lasted against the Hurricanes, where they got ran off the ice and just didn't know what to do with the puck at any given time, where they couldn't create any sustained offense, they couldn't drive possession, they couldn't cycle the puck, they couldn't play from the back, they couldn't clear the defensive zone, they hung Henrik Lundqvist out to dry in the first two games and didn't give Igor a chance in the third game. 
that uh, that alone would have been enough for me to say, all right, David, I, I was wrong about you. I, I'm sorry. It's it's not great. It, it we were wrong. You're not an NHL head coach, and that's fine. Not everyone is meant to be an NHL head coach. You can go back to college, and you will be fine. You'd be an assistant coach at the NHL level. But until the Rangers start playing sound, fundamental hockey, I won't be convinced he's the right guy. They need to get better at maintaining possession and creating sustained offensive pressure. And they can't just be holding for the perfect shot, either. And that is an indictment on Quinn. He says that they do that by design, that they're holding on for the right shot, but if you don't actually create a shot in your offensive pressure while you're passing, that's not doing anything, because you're eliminating the possibility of a rebound, of a deflection, of something happening in that high danger area around the net. you got to take your chances, and you got to create scoring chances. The Rangers have the offensive talent to score with anyone. The defense is not great defensively, but Fox, Truba, D'Angelo are both good play drive. are all guys who can accumulate points. And if Miller gets his footing, he won't accumulate points, but he will be competent and help drive possession. Going into the game today, because this is going to drop on Thursday against the Islanders tonight, I expect the... I expect both teams to score a decent bit. I mean, I would expect the over it to be the, the play in every hockey game for the first week or so, while every team kind of tries to get into game speed, get into a rhythm and game speed, because there was no preseason this year. All these teams are just dropping into games after playing a couple scrimmages against their own teammates. And in most of those cases, they were playing the taxi squad in, you know, inter-squad games just to kind of get into game speed against non-quality competition, especially as they had to cut down the roster to get ready for the regular season. And then, of course, there's the whole lingering pandemic thing where at any given time a player might catch it, even if they're doing the right thing, wearing a mask, washing their hands, keeping their distance. It's going to be a topsy-turvy season. I don't expect every team to play 56 games just because it's a pandemic, man. Things are going to happen. Guys are going to miss games. There is going to be a team that has to play with only 18 guys on a given night where they're not going to have X number of players and they're going to have to put three or four taxi squad guys into their roster where they're keeping the taxi squad guys away from the rest of the team in the case of an outbreak that there's still enough guys to play on a given night so there's no excuses. Because like we've seen in the NBA, like we saw in the NFL, these te- the leagues want the games played by any means necessary. Like we saw in the NBA over the weekend, they made the Sixers play with seven guys on the bench, and the eighth guy, Mike Scott, wasn't healthy enough to play, but he had to dress to be the eighth guy. It It's going to happen this year. Teams are going to get the short end of the stick in competitive balance, and you're going to see a team end up having to play four AHL-caliber guys in a lineup on a given night, and there's Nothing that team can do on that night. So, I leave you with that to ponder about the Rangers. I don't have particularly high expectations. Part of that is a defense mechanism, of course. I don't want to get myself all ramped up for the season thinking that maybe they do make the jump this year. Maybe they become a legitimate team pretty quick. 
with Lafreniere there to pick up a lot of that depth, a lot of the depth scoring that they didn't have last year. Or maybe he's so good he plays his way into the top six and that forces someone up in the lineup to come down and makes the bottom half of the lineup better. Maybe. I'm going to go on the side of caution and say it's going to be an up and down inconsistent season from a pretty young team where if something happens, they get lucky, they steal a couple, Shesterkin plays as good as he did last year. It's possible. It's not likely, though. The Athletic has them at about a 1-in-3 chance to make the playoffs. Money Puck has them about 1-in-a-quarter chance to make the playoff. Uh, that's about what I'd say. It, it's possible, not likely. I will be back Friday. It's the best weekend of the football calendar. Divisional round matchups. I am looking forward to talking about it. These are four awesome awesome football games, and I cannot wait. I'll see you guys then. Until next time, see ya.